Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Marketing in Times of Crisis. I'm your host, Ayo Abbas, a freelance marketing consultant, and today is Thursday the 17th September 2020. My guest is Julia Nichols, who heads up the communications team at Squire and Partners. In this episode, we touch on how the practice and brand has evolved over Julia's 22-year career. She's seen the practice go from 30 people to 250, and we look at what that has meant in terms of their comms approach and how they promote their brand. We also touch on their unique setup, both as an architectural firm, but also as a small developer. And lastly, we look at what they've been doing during lockdown and their role as an active participant in their local community in Brixton. If you like the podcast, please do subscribe and don't forget to leave us a rating or review as that really helps us to spread the word. Anyway, I won't hold you up any longer. So please do enjoy the episode. Bye. Hi, Julia. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, can you give me a brief intro to you and your role at Squire and Partners? Yes. Hi, Avo. Good morning. Um, thank you so much for asking me. Um, I am the director of PR at Squire and Partners. Um, so we're a 250 person practice. Um, I came from a, a sort of history degree background, so I didn't really study communications or PR. I did later do a, a CAM diploma, communications, advertising and marketing, but pretty much I've gained my experience on the job. Um, yeah. So sort of, you know, learning from other people, trusting instincts and sort of, you know, seeing the, the sort of how the practice operates and trying to work with that. Um, I've been there for 22 years, which I always hate to admit because that just makes me feel really old. <laughs> you should feel proud. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've loved, you know, every minute of that 22 years and it's, it's not a job that's ever stayed the same. When I started, there were 30 people, well, just under 30 people in the practice and now there's 250. So it's not been a kind of, you know, a static job um but it's a long time to stay somewhere and I think because it's always been evolving and changing that's sort of why you know I feel that it's you know it's still an interesting job now um and I guess in terms of kind of your role how has has how has that changed over the kind of 22 years in terms of what you do comms wise well, I guess, I mean, during the time I've been here, we started um, in a townhouse in South Kensington. And then uh, when we grew to about 70, 80 people, we moved to King's Cross. That was in 2002. So it was sort of before all the kind of smart King's Cross stuff started. It, it was quite a, seen as quite an edgy and yeah, risky place. Before it was really developed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and sanitised. Exactly. And I used to go to Bagley's when I was, you know, a student. I remember the sort of, the, you know, the kind of great aspects of King's Cross. But, it, you know, th- there were there were issues there as well. Um, yeah. And I think, and then in, we moved to Brixton uh, as, as a practice of about 200 in 2017, which is another area I absolutely love and knew already. Um, and I think each of those moves marked a really key moment for the practice, not just in terms of its size, but in terms of sort of the types of work we were doing, how we were evolving and growing. And so each of those moves was an opportunity to kind of shape the way that we were perceived in the industry. Um, And so there would kind of be almost a mini rebranding or a sort of, you know, a little shift in the evolution of the company at that time. That sort of digital side of comms has developed enormously. Um, you know, we not only have a website for Squire and Partners, we have them for other aspects of the business that I'll talk about later. You know, we obviously have Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn and all, all of those things to learn. 
And then my role, I mean, it was just me doing the PR for 10 years and I, and I sort of started the department. We didn't have anyone doing PR when I started. Yeah. Then after that first 10 years, we were a team of two. Um, during that time, I had two children. Now we're a team of four. <laughs> um, so it's all, a, you know, a, a sort of juggle and but I've been so grateful for the freedom to kind of shape my role and keep it fluid, keep it interesting. And, I, I, you know, I feel like I'm just continually learning new skills. Um, so that's been brilliant. And I think as well, the the culture of the company's been evolving all that time. And, and we do lots of different aspects of design. So, you know, we do master plans. We do obviously yeah. our architecture is our core business, but we have a really established and award-winning interior design department. We do installations for things like Design Junction, London Design Festival. We, we do sort of retail shop fronts. Uh, they, they've got to be quite special, but, you know, we will do them mm. for um, particular brands we feel a, a kind of connection with products, textile design, you know, it's it's never sort of the same thing coming out of the office. So we've got an in-house model shop and teams. It's that all do. variety, I guess, isn't it, in, in terms of what you're doing, which must be, I guess it keeps you interested, right? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's really helped um, to sort of, you know, never make me feel that I, you know, I'm not doing the same job for 22 years. I'm really evolving, and growing <laughs> things and working with lots of different teams across the office, which is brilliant. And so I guess in a normal year, we'd work on, you know, the usual PR strategy across the office and yeah. um, events and installations, talks, press photography, all those kind of things. Um, but Squire and Partners, interestingly, as well as doing uh, architecture and design work for clients, have also been a, a sort of small scale developer for, for several years, started off quite small. But, you know, so the department store is is, is one of those things. But I've also yeah. been involved in promoting and launching a hotel, um, a workspace, private houses. Um, and in Brixton, we're about to launch um, a workspace next door to our office, a sort of 200-person workspace, which has sort of private studios and also desks. It's kind of designed for small to medium creative businesses. So, you know, I'm getting deeply involved in how you launch a workspace and it's more sort of like B to C comms rather than B to yeah. B. Um, so that's that's my learning curve at the moment. Um, and we also have an, an event space in the building downstairs, uh, a rooftop sort of members bar and restaurant. Yeah. Um, and we're opening another restaurant in the workspace next door. So that, you know, though all those things keep my mind thinking, oh my gosh, do I know how to launch a restaurant <laughs> in Brixton? <laughs> And it's all a process though, isn't it? I always kind of think, even if it's new, there's kind of like a process, a learning process that you can apply and how you do things, or that's how I end up learning things. Definitely. I think it feels super daunting when you're, you know, when you start out thinking, God, I don't know anyone in the restaurant PR world, but it's just common sense and, you know, presenting things clearly and okay, the things you might have to submit in a press release for a restaurant might be a little bit different, but it's not, yeah, it's not so hard when you really think about it. No, it's not. And and, and, um, I, I also think, yeah, it's, I always think of things as it's a process. You learn kind of the basics and then off you go. And like you say, it is literally common sense to get most stuff done and, and try new things. But I'm, I mean, I'm really impressed by the kind of small developer model that, that, that the practice has as well, because I also just think it's fascinating because that's how I first heard of you actually in King's Cross um, from right, Sixth and Chad's okay. place. Yes, we <laughs> spoke I, about that, didn't we? Uh, yeah, we did, which is generally where I used to drink a long time ago. Um, <laughs> so Sixth and Chad's place was the bar um, that we actually opened ourselves next door to our bricks and offices when the really, as I said, when we moved there, there really wasn't a lot around there. There was an amazing little bar called Smithy's, which has been in King's Cross forever, yeah. but, but it wasn't really big enough to, you know, for hundred of us to descend on a Friday night. So we basically created our own bar out of an old train shed 
Um, and yeah, it ended up being actually quite successful. We, we sold it when we moved to Brixton. Uh, we, we spoke about it's now a meat liquor, which is just a bit depressing. But yeah, and you have that big picture of the Thameslink platform in the, in the bar. Yeah, because I, I do remember that because I was like because I love trains. I am that person, and so is my son. Um, <laughs> and I guess in terms of your comms approach, has you how has that changed as you've moved from being a smallish uh, a small to mid sized practice from say thirty to two hundred and fifty? I mean. What stuff have you done differently or had to try or or ha- what changed for you? I guess. Apart from just having a bigger team. Yeah. I, I, from a PR perspective, I mean, I started working for, a, I guess, a medium-sized practice headed very much by Michael Squire, who, you know, he's st- still here, absolutely um, brilliant and, and, you know, at his desk every day and very involved. But it's um, it's been an evolution as well to a really strong second generation of the practice, which is yeah. incredibly difficult to do. Um, there are three younger partners um, as well as Michael, so there are four in total, and they've all been here for twenty plus years, kind of you know helping to shape the future of the practice organically. So it's we use in in the practice of evolution, not revolution. You know, they're they're taking the designs yeah. forward and keeping things moving uh, without sort of losing the core essence of what the practice is about. So I guess part of the comms approach has been creating a platform for all four of those partners to have individual voices. They're really different personalities, so there there couldn't be a kind of one size fits all approach. And it's yeah. also not necessarily a case of you know Michael's the figurehead for the practice and then everyone else is sort of in the office working. It's we you know we want to create that platform for everybody. And then I guess the comms approach in terms of how I've seen the company go through these rebrands and and also how it's interesting to see how at various points in the growth of the company, the industry and, and sort of media, you know, they're, they're desperate to kind of pigeonhole a practice and be able to sort of summarise what they're about. So when we were sort of growing at the very beginning, yeah. everyone would say, oh, well, you just refurbish reception areas and sort of, you know, give buildings a little refresh and a little rebrand and then when we started to do new builds they'd say oh well you you just do commercial offices and that that's what Squire and Partners do and then when the market shifted away from offices into more residential we did a couple of big residential projects and then everyone said oh you just you just do <laughs> and it's you know often these things are actually market and, and economy driven rather than necessarily a uh, you know a drive on a marketing side because ideally you want a varied uh, work at all time you never want to be you know all in one one place and often it's serendipitous moments as well of who you happen to meet and you know who your clients recommend you to but we've always been looking ahead to okay this is how we think we're perceived now which is also hard to find out when you're not looking at it objectively and this is where we want to you know have our reputation or, yeah. next so that's that's a sort of evolution in the way our comms approaches and there's also this issue that um we're unashamedly a commercial practice, um, which essentially just means that you run a successful business. Um, and somehow I think success in the architecture industry, certainly historically, has come with a sort of connotation that you're not driven by creativity, you're yeah. driven by money. But really, you need the two skills together. Um, you know, th- uh, certainly I know of very creative practices with like very strong brands who really, really struggle um, to be a you know a sort of a business, a, a business. ongoing business right yeah. but but I think um, actually some of the other interviews I've, I've done I think that's the thing that is coming out is that mm. you can't suddenly hide from the conversations about revenue and money yeah you know they are important as well as creativity but your bottom line still needs to work 
Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, especially if you want to grow, um, you know, if, if it's your sort of practice and it's, a, you know, very small. And, but I think, yeah, if you want to grow your business, then, uh, of course, you need to be thinking about, you know, being able to be profitable and, and grow that idea rather than just, you know, producing beautiful work that didn't, you know, cost too much or, you know, didn't really be the brief. Um, and I mean, I, you know, over the years, I'm, I think we're in a, a fantastic place now. We have a really varied portfolio from, you know, small community buildings and affordable housing developments right up to sort of the more high end of the market and international projects. So, yeah. I, I I think I don't I, I in fact we haven't really done any work on how we're perceived at the moment but judging by the sort of press interest that we get I I think um and the sort of type types of projects that they cover I feel like we're in quite a good place um and we're also oh. I guess the size of us uh means that we're able to take on uh we would normally have one or two pro bono projects in the office at one time which yeah. um I think is really good for the people Obviously, it's good for the type of project that it is because you can see that it's something that's actually really helping people or making a difference to a community. Um, but it's also good for internally for morale and um, and to work outside of our perhaps more commercial client base. Um, so we've just done a community centre in Brixton next door to the Grade Two listed Brixton Windmill, and last year we completed a children's hospice in North London. Oh, and wow. I think they're just such different types of projects, but you know that. Uh, I guess having that sort of uh, freedom to, to design something um, so different that you can see the results of how the design makes a difference to the people using the space. And also giving back as well, right? I, I think it's so important. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And that's sort of, you know, in our own community and, and beyond. Um, so, so how would you describe your approach to communications? Is there a, a certain tone of voice or, or anything like that that you kind of think, what, what, what kind of represents your kind of brand and company? Well, I think, I mean, personally, my approach to comms is very much based around teamwork and collaboration. And I, and I you know, having done the job alone and having done it as a, a you know, a two people, uh, you know, and we got, we work really well together and now a team of four. I think there's so much to be learned from everyone in the team. I have a really brilliant team. Um, and I think, you know, the, the younger team come with more of an understanding about all the digital side and you know the older people sort of maybe have more experience of other things and I think it, just working collaboratively in a team is is fantastic yeah. um an in-depth knowledge and passion for what you do you know I I I feel that obviously I've been embedded in architecture for for my whole career. My husband's an architect actually and has his own practice. So <laughs> I literally, you know, I really I'm really interested in it and and I and the rest of my team really care about good design and what it brings to the people who use the space. Um, we're interested in the issues in the industry generally that, that that shape things. So I think, you know, you've got to have a passion for what you're doing. Absolutely. And then in terms of the the sort of approach, I guess Honest and low key is the way I approach it. I I feel like yeah. PRs generally have a bad rep, and I like no one wants to be Siobhan Sharp from Perfect Curve. I, <laughs> I love that show. Oh my god, I'm, I'm insane. <laughs> I, I can't, every time they even mention Perfect Curve, I just, me and my husband just collapse into giggles. But I think, you know, <laughs> PRs can be, be perceived a certain way. And sometimes I don't like people telling people I work in PR. But I honestly think that PR in this industry is different to perhaps in some other industries. Um, and, and, you know, all credit to PRs across industries. But I think there is a, a sort of caricature, isn't it? But I think here, yeah, yeah, it's it's honest and low key. It's a friendly tone of voice, and ultimately, you you are there to communicate the core 
aspects of your practice you know the foundations of your practice so at, yeah. at Square and Partners that is about designing for context introducing craft um, into finished buildings fusing tradition with technology um, we're not a practice that's sort of overly uh, theoretical about our work or academic in our approach um, but we care so much about the finished buildings and the sort of you know the craft and detail in them um, I think as well as a practice uh, there's a real sense of not taking yourself too seriously. We take our work seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. This is a, yeah. a sort of social and fun space to be. Um, and I think that's really important as well in our comms, both internally and externally, that this is a, this is a, a nice place to work, uh, not just, um, uh, you know. Aesthetically, which it is gorgeous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Our office is, is crazy. We've been doing these Zoom calls where people think that this is my home and I've got these sort of like, you know, leather corb sofas behind me. And this is my mansion. Just <laughs> and I'm like, oh no. Will you be disappointed when you do a call at my home? <laughs> like, oh, what? You don't have that ceiling height? No. <laughs> 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 but no, it's definitely worth checking out your uh, website to see some of the pictures of your building, which is beautiful. Um, so in terms of how do you choose, I guess, what campaigns or issues that you champion as a practice and and uh, and I guess what you do and how you, I guess you're doing stuff in a, a more under, un, uh, I guess a slightly less kind of in your face way, a bit more understated, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and I think it really comes back to this honesty and authenticity um, approach. So, you know, as I say, we're very focused on delivering sort of beautiful buildings. And when we're less interested in talking about our approach sort of, you know, all the time, we feel that it that our approach should sort of become apparent in the narrative in our architecture and things like that. There will be issues um, occasionally that one of our senior management will hold the torch for at the moment. Um, Michael Squire is particularly interested in this sort of white paper for the UK design code and talking a lot about that and thinking about that. Um, We're also really interested in workplace design sort of during and coming out of COVID. Uh, We're really interested in the rise of neighbourhood working and sort of hub and spoke models of working, partly because we've been doing it for three years and we're about to launch one next door. It makes perfect sense to us. We know what all the benefits are, but whatever we sort of talk about is, it has to be an authentic response to yeah. something that someone here feels passionate about. We would never feel that we should talk about something just for PR's sake, because I think it shows. Um, and in terms of specific campaigns, like, you know, AJ's Retro First and Architects Declare, the practice doesn't generally jump on those sort of media-led campaigns for the sake of yeah. a moment of publicity. I think there's a, a certain pressure put on practices to, to sign up. And actually, you know, sometimes media will single out practices that haven't signed up as if like, well, this practice doesn't care that the planet I is dying. Like or, you know, and it's sort of like, look, I, I think that our commitment to adaptable reuse of existing buildings or sustainability or equality and diversity in the industry, those are all key to our values and it's proven by our actions yeah. rather than by popping our name on a list. And I, I'm particularly, there was one, I think it was the Architects Declare one, where yeah. the list of things you had to sign up to was actually pretty onerous. And I, I am sure that not every practice that signed up to it actually went through that checklist of things, you know, when they took on a new project or, you know, and I think... Sometimes it feels a little bit disingenuous um, to sign up to things if you're not really invested, if that's not a core part of your business. 
Um, but I do see the value, of course, in, you know, a group of people coming together to sort of lobby these things and, and to sort of make their voices heard as a group. But I think if it wasn't part of our core values and something we were really, you know, invested in and promoting anyway, then I guess we, yeah, for the purposes of, of PR, we, we wouldn't really engage in those and that, and that's your choice, and we should. I, I think that's the thing is that you're you're doing it you're doing it via your actions, which is which is the, the main point, really. Isn't well, I think it? yeah, I, it would be more important to have a sustained and deeply ingrained commitment to issues than it would be to sign up for a moment and then sort of forget about it again. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so you've talked quite a bit about kind of localism and your kind of local community. Um, I guess at the moment, obviously, we're still kind of going through the COVID nineteen pandemic and will we go back into lockdown or whatever what happens next how have you kind of used your skills as a business to help your local community during uh COVID-19 so what's been going on I mean we're, we're very connected to the community um here in Brixton particularly um and we we kind of started that but two years before we arrived um with some sort of you know a lot of kind of creative events and installations um I think then when you take that through to COVID um we've We've got an in-house model shop uh, and we also, as part of that group, have an in-house textile designer who works part-time here and part-time on her own private work, Isabel Fletcher. And we saw an opportunity to use the sort of skills and the um, equipment that we had to help. So we were producing um, scrubs for local NHS hospitals in South London Yeah. Um, as part of those sort of bigger operations. So we were part of a network. Oh, gosh, I can't remember what it was called now, but there was a network. That was there were quite a few network. around, weren't there? Yeah. yeah. And so we were producing sets of scrubs each week, but always, <laughs> always with a little design flair. So we would stitch little <laughs> messages of sort of support and solidarity into like the collars. We had pattern pockets on every scrub. And in fact, the, 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 the very basic scrub pattern didn't have a pocket on it, but we'd heard from other people working in the NHS that a pocket is really a useful thing useful. to have. So it's just this little sort of, you know, quirky extra. And then the visors that we um, 3D printed in our model shop, which again was a, a you know process that you, you had to sort of meet quite exacting standards of um, the type. And we also use a sustainable, um, what do you call it, a a material to to make it sort of recycled. Um, That, again, had a little message of uh, One Love NHS on the side, which, you know, it's actually really hard to photograph because it's it's tiny. But, you know, when you're putting it on, the fact that you might sort of read that and think, oh, what's this? But I guess it was a, a sort of our way of feeling that we could contribute we also create advisors for um local businesses in the area we're part of a a sort of network of local businesses um and then our a few people in the office including a few partners and our illustration team created a series of 12 bespoke artworks uh for one of our clients derwent london who was off lovely key worker apartments on charlotte street for um, nhs staff working at uch so yeah those are sort of things we felt that you know we could do to help and then the last thing we're working on at, at the moment um is i think we've all recognized that this is an incredibly difficult time for young people um to have opportunities in the industry you know there there's no work experience placements at the moment um if you are still employed it's very hard to get noticed and to sort of you know sh- show, show and document your c- contribution to the team if you're working remotely or if you can't really you know meet physically as often and if yeah. you're out of work you know how can you keep involved keep relevant into the industry that you want to join um so there's three of us in the office that are working on a talk that we're giving to a local youth 
um, creative network called Liberty and also to the Stephen Lawrence Trust to keep them up to speed on things like how COVID shaping the industry. You know, when they go for an interview, I think it'd be really useful to know you know, what are the accelerators in the industry? What are people thinking and talking about now? And also just what opportunities exist in the industry, as well as how to get noticed. And and lastly, how to work on your personal brand during this time. You know, what can I be doing um, yep. to keep my profile up, you know, to, to share my skills, to sort of challenge myself to and to connect with people as well, right? Exactly. That's so important. Yeah. yeah, it's so much harder. Yeah. Um, and then we're doing some online workshops, again, with the Stephen Lawrence Trust on things like CV and portfolio skills. And actually, I know something we talked about the other day, that kind of online interview. You know, there's some really simple things that you might not think about if you're sort of prepping for an interview about, you know, your background and making sure you're somewhere quiet and, uh, you know. Wi-Fi connection. Wi-Fi, and yeah, yeah, all of, the all stuff, of yeah. those things. So. And then we're also doing workshops on sort of um, changes in legislation, planning and building control, um, which, you know, are all happening through COVID that I think it's, it would, you know, help people just feel that they're, they're up to speed with what's happening because the, the, the rate of change is just, you know, Massive baffling right now, if you're, if you're in work, let alone if you feel <laughs> detached from it. Okay. So I guess... Looking at, uh, I guess, in terms of what changes have you seen in, the, in our actual market, in the built environment market itself, in terms of, and what opportunities do you see opening up to people in the post-COVID world in terms of how they can drive their kind of businesses forward in the sector? So, obviously, I mean, we've spoken about COVID being this huge accelerator of change. And I think, I use the word accelerator because I think these were things that were already happening, but have yeah. obviously just been fast tracked. So workspaces were already becoming very blurred with sort of home and hospitality environments. People were looking for wellness to be integrated into their workday, not something that, you know, they have to sort of do at weekends. And I think this shift towards a much healthier life balance, um, you know, we all had to juggle sort of uh, family and friends and relationships and work. And, you know, I think this increase in, working from home, maybe working near a home if you do go to an office, so neighbourhood working, um, commutes that are just more sustainable and, you know, less stressful. Um, so I think the local working angle is is something that is really an opportunity at the moment and, and definitely something that we see is um, happening. Opportunities for your workplace as well to become more of a kind of clubhouse for your organization in fact someone's yeah. in the build-up call we were on earlier how you know if people can do their sort of desk work at home and then they come for the much more collaborative and immersive stuff then you'd probably approach the design of your office in a really different way so that's sort of it's like a brand experience not just for your employees but for anyone visiting so it changes the purpose and the role of the actual office, isn't it? I think so. And then you've got to look at, okay, what what are the new premiums in office design? So there's got to be the sort of the human comfort element that you would experience at home, as as well as those sort of practical concerns of, you know, you're going to need more cycle space and then you're going to need showers. People are going to want yeah. access to outside space, as well as a sort of collaborative area and social areas, quiet zones, you know, areas for digital only meetings. Um you know, the wellbeing programs, these these are going to be essential to workplaces going forward. Um, and I think because, you know, everything that's happening at the moment is so tied to the sort of the state of the planet, you know, sustainability um, in terms of the building materials that you're using and the life cycle and biodiversity is, is going to become central to, to new development. So these are all, I think, maybe growth areas. Uh, yeah. I also think people having worked from home for quite some time are going to want to 
become embedded in and contribute to their community. And that could be a community at work as well as at home, or perhaps they are the same. Um, so sort Just of be you know, part of something, isn't it? Exactly, rather than because yeah. working alone, we all know, can be lonely. <laughs> and you know, and I think these webinars and you know web meetups are, are absolutely brilliant, and they've been total lifesavers. But I think moving forward, it's going to become more of a mix. Um, and I think the, the way we're communicating that in our office is to um, we're setting up a series of internal presentations on you know parts of the sectors that I've really spoken today about workspaces, but also co-living and residential and public space. You know how how are all these things changing so fast, and what do we think the sort of medium and long-term impact of those will be? Yeah. And that stuff is just so, so interesting, isn't it? It's that kind of uh, your crystal ball, but yeah. Sorry, especially in a big office like this where, you know, you might have one team working on a co-living project and another working on a workspace project, but it's really important that knowledge is shared. Absolutely. Um, so uh, that, yeah, that's sort of why we set up this series of presentations. And in terms of, I guess, for, for the kind of over the next, say, six months to a year, what what kind of campaigns or approaches do you think are going to be kind of you're going to be doing as an organisation? Uh, I mean, one of the main things we're going to be doing is launching this new workspace building because it, it basically expands on the department store story, which we've been um we moved here in 2017 so that's three years now but the interest in what we've created here because it does deal with so many different aspects of working and workplace and what what workplace is um so sort of building on that story with our studios next door um is going to be big we're also launching a, a residency where um we're sort of along the commitment uh, we have to our local community and all the creative projects we do. We're going to be giving two free workspaces to and um, two young sort of Lambeth entrepreneurs that will come entering and access to all the facilities. So that's that's actually one of my projects for this autumn is to sort of put that call out and get a panel together and then make a, a sort of selection. Uh, which brilliant! Is, that sounds great. It does sound great, but I'm already dreading the sort of picking two people because I know there'll be loads of brilliant <laughs> candidates. I'm going to feel so bad. Can we take them all? I know, just let them all in it'll be fine <laughs> and I think there's a there's obviously a digital and social strategy with that and, and a sort of a new curation of event programs that will support that new part of this community um we've got some key projects coming up um in the next sort of six 12 months we're completing our first project in the King's Cross Central uh, for Brilliant. Argent um we're actually also finishing South Bank Place. Uh, we did the master plan. So it's the, the area around uh, the Shell headquarters in the London Eye. Um, as you come out of Waterloo Station, that was a master plan that, um, gosh, I can't even remember how many years ago. But A long um, time ago, I remember yeah. that one. And we, we and um, other uh, really good architects have sort of delivered the various buildings on that site. So that's sort of completing at the moment. Um, that's mainly residential, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's office and residential and there's some retail and public space. And then we're also launching a, a really nice, um, quite a large affordable housing um, scheme on the Isle of Dogs at the moment called Island Point, which is, um, we just had some really great photos back and I'm looking forward to sharing that one as well. Oh, brilliant. And then um, we're doing our fourth year of one of my favourite things to do every year, which is, is we called uh, the Winter Windows Collaboration. And it's essentially, yeah. um, oh, what's that? Uh, London Illuminations Festival that happens every January or didn't happen last year. 
Oh, is that one that does the bridges and things like that? Yeah. Or is that a different I, one? I don't know. What it's, I, it might be like illumination, you know, something like that. But I know what Luminaire. you mean. Is it Luminaire? I think it is. So it's, I, it's something like that. It's so it's our there. own little mini Brixton version <laughs> of Luminaire. Um, I'm now going, yeah. <laughs> we have uh, we have eight giant windows um, along the front of our building. And, and this is quite a busy sort of, you know, pedestrian route up to Brixton Station. And the first year we worked with a, a local primary school kids and we asked them to develop uh, designs for these sort of uh, made out of basically neon, neon light although they're LEDs but you know they're neon shapes and they were meant to express the emotions of kind of winter and Christmas time um, and it was such a successful uh, event uh, we did we did one workshop in the school and one workshop here in our model shop and then we literally created the exact drawings that they drew out of neon light and they were huge oh, lovely. and then we have a switch on event that everyone comes to there's like a, another school has a choir that comes and it's just the and they're also proud of their work I take it oh my their faces honestly it's just it's, it's <laughs> adorable and we actually won a frame uh, award for it this year for actually the last year's event uh, we've now worked with two primary schools a secondary school for children with communication difficulties and this year I think we might actually we haven't really decided but we might pitch it to young people who are you know maybe not getting opportunities and we might actually get them to actually make their own installation so they'll be using a sort of cnc cutter and light uh, oh, so brilliant. it'll actually be a sort of start to finish process that's so nice that's brilliant uh and on to my final two questions so um what standout marketing campaigns have you seen or admired during this kind of current kind of period for me, um, I'm going to say the Architecture Foundation 100 Day Studio, which I just feel was such a feat to pull off. It ran from the first week of April right to the end of August. And, uh, you know, to to have the idea and to get the tech set up to brand it, and the brand was beautiful, to create yeah speakers and topics that came from a really broad spectrum across the industry from really big names to startup practices and you know uh, sort of collaborative groups um and to sort of market it was i think exceptional and i think that the the sort of you know it was every weekday um it helped you to sort of track that passing of time at a really critical point for everybody and as well as stay connected and hear how people you know were responding to uh, the industry as a whole but also what was happening and yeah they're they're a small organization in terms of sort of people and funding but honestly I thought to to pull that off was exceptional and it's something that is a great resource and such a kind of positive reaction to what was going on at the time and it I, I know that some of them are still available on, on, online I'm not sure if the whole back catalogue is but I'll put a link into it but it's definitely I mean it was a unique program as well wasn't it it was like really just really interesting themes and topics and, and varied speakers. content you know it was yeah, yeah um, and I think it's something I want to go back and revisit you know because I obviously I couldn't uh, see all of them but yeah it's definitely something I want to revisit visit in the coming weeks and months. Okay, now on to the final, final question. So what one tip would you give to business leaders about their communications during this current time? I think I'm sort of uh, repeating myself, but it's still, it's be authentic to the core values of your practice. So yeah. f- look again and focus on what is true to your brand rather than following any press opportunity. And I know it's really hard at the moment because, you know, the, the market is tricky and, you know, everyone is fighting hard for every scrap of work that's going. But I think you've got to make sure that you're sticking to your core values and to see 
PR and comms as a natural extension of your organization and also the people within it. So don't force yourself to sort of fit somebody else's mold, you know, talk to people within your uh, company about you know what's what's essential to them because that conversations and opportunities for editorial and thought leadership may well come out of those conversations Absolutely. you have internally um, and if you don't know them and share them then you don't know what those opportunities are and I would say as well just keep keep your digital presence going you know throughout this whole period digital has just you know become more important than ever um, and I think that even if you're, you feel like your projects and whatever are quite quiet, whatever you have, whether it's, you know, site photos, models that you've made, um, opinion pieces about things that are happening in the industry, are you taking inspiration from other places in the world or, you know, other, what's happening in other cities or, um, you know, any, anything, any content that you can think of, um, look at other people's feeds, see what people are doing, because I think that, you know, you can stay engaged and have a, a sort of continuity of feed, even if yeah. you feel like, oh, we've only got five projects and we can't continuously talk about them. There'll be lots of things you can talk about if you really sit down and, and think about, you know, your values as well as your physical. Process. But I think it's also, I think it's the process of what you're doing. People always think it's the, you know, the end shiny picture, but actually how you got there that is that's Definitely. the content dynamite and isn't it I completely agree and I think more and more people are interested in process and you know w- where these ideas came from um so yeah I, I absolutely agree you know sketches and uh precedents all really really key brilliant okay thank you so much for your time Julia um it's been you've been a great guest um thank and you. yeah thanks for coming on the show thanks for asking me it's been lovely chatting Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Marketing in Times of Crisis. If you liked what you heard, please do leave us a review as it helps us to spread the word and for more people to get to hear about us. If you want to know more about things mentioned in the episode, do look at the show notes, which will give you more information about where to find us and also about our show website. In the meantime, I hope you enjoyed it and have a great day. Bye.